Good morning. Hey, happy daylight savings time, everybody. You guys aren't as excited about it. You know, I'm not excited about it because nobody told my kids about it. It was like, you get an extra hour of sleep. Like, they don't know. They don't know. We still get up at 645, which was 545, I guess, today. I'm still confused. I don't even know what time it is right now. I'm just here and happy to be here. But um, on another note, one of the things I've often wondered is, uh, will I ever get to the place, the age, where I don't just absolutely enjoy destroying things? And... Uh, the answer is no. Still no. I'm happy to report. And uh, I'm also thankful that my friend John Sanchez shares the affinity for destruction that I do. Um, so we just got a little fixer upper house just up 741 here. And uh, John's like, bro, I'll bring over my bobcat because it's a giant party deck. I mean, I'm talking party deck. Like the whole yard was deck almost. And uh, First thing Jess said was, that's got to go. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I talked to John, and John's like, I'll be up with the Bobcat. And so this was my Saturday, was watching this kind of stuff happen. And I mostly just stood back because John is just, he's, he's just like, he's going after it. I'm like, let's go step back and let him do his thing. And uh, it was great because, I mean, this is a massive piece of deck that just like, he would pick them up in sections and just rip it apart and stuff's like popping everywhere. And uh, the best part about it was, for me, was every time John would go by in the bobcat with a giant piece of deck, I could hear him just going, ha, 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 just like that. And uh, we, he showed me the video because I was telling him that. He said, you should hear. And like, I had like a little schoolgirl giggle the whole time. Like I was like video, I was like, ha, ha. you know, like this is so much, this is so awesome. And after it was all, like, said and done, this is, like, what my yard looked like. Uh, it was kind of, like, just pure d destruction. And, uh, I'll, okay, you will get there, you know. But, like, all the deck was gone, and he and I were standing up there. I swear we had a little moment where we both had tears in our eyes of just pure joy at what we had just accomplished. So um, I loved it. It was a good time, and I just want to tell you about it. But um, bonding together, isn't it? I mean, we, we bonded this weekend, and bonding together is one of the greatest aspects of the human experience. And it's really what we're going to be talking about uh, for the next several weeks. We're going to be talking about uh, human connection and how we were made for connection. And we really were. The Bible uh, shows us that we were, uh, as humans, we were made to connect uh, in deep and meaningful ways with one another, and in deep and meaningful ways with God. And so this series is called Disconnect. We're going to be hanging out uh, in this series for the next four weeks. And it's kind of a play on words, because what you're probably experiencing and what you see happening is that though we were made for deep connection, we often miss out on it. And as a society, there really is this disconnect that happens. There's reasons why we don't fully experience relationship with the people around us, with our families, with one another, uh, with our neighbors and friends in the way that we were meant to experience relationship. And we can talk about a lot of different factors, right? And you've heard uh, different factors of why that might be, but we can all sense it. In fact, after I taught today, uh, several people came up to me and they were like, this is like, I, I, I don't... This is just something that we're hungry for, uh, and this is something that we're thirsty for. And when, uh, when it comes to really connecting with people in that kind of way, it's something that's really lacking uh, in a lot of our lives. And uh, we could point to a lot of different things, right? Why is there this disconnect uh, in relationships? And one of the things could be the polarization of viewpoints, right? I mean, we see a lot of polarization of viewpoints. We see technological advancement, which is a positive thing, yet in many ways, the more ways we have to connect with each other and the more opportunities we have for connection end up being just more artificial and surface. And so um, they actually polarize. 
us from uh, really just um, uh, meaningful moments. Uh, we could all point to busyness in our lives, right? I mean, all of us could use the phrase or maybe uses the phrase often, I'm busy or I feel busy or I just feel like my life is so cluttered that I don't have the ability to connect with people, my family, uh, whoever it might be in the way that I hope to connect with people. I think there's a lack of trust today could be a factor. And uh, you used to be able just to show up places unannounced, you know. And many of you guys are like, that's just what you're used to is just knocking on somebody's door. And, hey, I was just in the area, you know. And this just doesn't happen anymore. In fact, like normally it's like somebody knocks on your door and you're like, everybody hide, you know. Like it could be somebody trying to sell us something. Like Aiden, get back here, you know. Like uh, they, they got like one of those shirts. They're definitely selling something, you know. Or we just look at them through like our ring doorbell and we're like, you know. Hey, what business do you have here? You know, it's like we're just so uh, used to not uh, really trusting. And um, even uh, architecture, I think, uh, shows the growing disconnect. And what I mean by that is every house used to have a front porch. You remember the good old days where, like, every house was really had the front porch. And it was everybody would gather out on their front porch. And you'd see your neighbors. And before long, you're out on their front porch. And you're having a, a conversation and some sweet tea or whatever it might be. Uh, but now it's all about the backyard space, right? I mean, we want to have the most epic backyard, right? Because we like our privacy. And I know I feel that way uh, too. But um, in many ways, like we said, our, our, I said earlier, our habits have changed. Uh, we're a society that's really fueled by technology, more ways to connect. Yet those connections are often way more shallow. So having said all that, because I, I know that that's something that we all sense and we're all aware of. Uh, but despite all of that, the question that I really want to talk about today is how can we, amidst this changing, and I'm talking about a rapidly changing environment around us, how can we maintain uh, this importance of meaningful relationships? How can we, amidst the disconnect, seek to reconnect with one another in the way that we were relationally meant to? And so over the course of November, I really just feel like um, these are some things that I know um, God is ministering to me on, and uh, I hope that, that these are meaningful conversations that we have over the next four weeks. And they're all factors that are important if we are going to experience more meaningful connection. Today we're talking about hospitality. Next week we're talking about uh, authenticity. Week three we're talking about simplicity. And week four we're talking about diversity. And so these are just such critical topics. And I hope that you're here for the next four weeks as we dive in. And uh, as we get started today, I'm just going to ask God to lead us. Father, we just want to thank you for these opportunities in this place. God, I thank you that this is really a sacred space where we can connect with one another uh, and, and ultimately connect with you. And so I just pray that you would speak life into us uh, in the next several weeks, God, as we dive deeper into the way that we were hardwired for true community and true meaningful relationship. We pray, God, that you would help us to push back the things that disconnect us and draw toward one another in deeper connection. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, so practice hospitality. That's what we're going to talk about today. And this is one of the shortest verses in the scripture, but it's such a meaningful phrase that we got to grab onto. And so as we talk about hospitality today, what I want to do is, and we're going we're gonna to hit six things uh, more quickly today, but what I want to do is debunk a few myths regarding hospitality. And so we're going to do a little Mythbusters thing today, and we're going to uh, tackle some things that I think we get wrong about hospitality that ultimately prevent us from living a life that is hospitable and experiencing hospitality in greater ways. So myth number one, let's just get this out of the way. Hospitality isn't easy and natural. 
It's easy and natural. It's anything but easy and natural, right? Especially today. And so we have to get over the illusion that it's just going to come easy to us. We're going to have to actually work for it and chase after it and pursue it. Uh, It's not just going to come easy. Especially when you really understand what Paul was getting at when he talks about this word hospitality in Romans 12, 9 through 13. So as we zoom out from that scripture that says practice hospitality, um, it says this at the beginning, starting in verses 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor by serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need practice hospitality. So all of these things that he says prior really feed our understanding of what hospitality really is. But when we think about this word, hospitality, it's, it's really a combination of two Greek words, phileo xenia. So the combination of these two Greek words, phileo is uh, a Greek word for love, and xenos is uh, a word meaning stranger. So when we think about the, the word and its original intent, it was all about loving that person that is currently a stranger in your life, the person that, you have, that has not yet become a friend to you. And that is more difficult. Jess and I talk about this all the time. It's hard to make friends, like, as an adult. It's kind of, like, weird. You're like, you know, it's kind of, you know, you want to be my friend? You know, it just doesn't happen. Like, Aiden comes home, and he's got, like, 15 new friends from the schoolyard. He's like, and this guy, we traded on the bus, and this, and the other. And I'm like, it's just harder, right, for us as adults. You know, it feels weird and unnatural, and indeed it is. We have to be intentional about it. The other thing that's different between me and my son is my default is suspicious. Like, I'm just, like, I'm already, like, I'm, like, already, like, somebody come up to me. I'm like, what are you trying to sell me? You know, like, what's your angle here? You know, this is this like my inner working is like I'm I'm at first suspicious and then I'm like okay you know you're all right you know we can work uh, to this my son on the other hand his immediate reaction is engaged like just I don't even no questions asked like he is just gonna meet you he's gonna get to know you he's gonna ask you thousands of questions what car do you drive where do you live all this stuff like he's going right through like you know all like why am I being interrogated you know but he wants to get to know people the other thing that he does is and I've had to we're kind of working on the stranger danger thing you know but like I don't want to completely snuff out his spirit but I also want to teach him some discernment you know and uh, so um, he'll just go he'll tell people all these things and then he'll be like the last thing he often ends with is hey, you want to come over to my house? And uh, I'm like, you can't be inviting everybody over to our house, you know? And uh, so, so we're learning. Um, and, and we will talk about the discernment aspect as well here in just a little bit. But it's unnatural for us to do that sort of thing, right? To invite people in. And it's unnatural sometimes for us to receive those invitations too. Um, so it doesn't come easy. In fact, typically the way it works for most of us is like, Hey, you want to get together for coffee? Uh, yeah, let me check my schedule. Uh, how about six weeks from now? Like, that, I got a little slot here about six or weeks from now, and I think I could maybe squeeze you in. And uh, this is how we, we do it a lot of times, right? Because we're so busy, we feel like we have to plan for it. Um, we feel like we have to do it on our own terms. And then we always want to have the option to cancel it if something else comes up. Um, but this is the kind of hospitality that we practice. But it's not really the hospitality that we see in the scripture. The true nature of hospitality goes beyond that. In fact, hospitality in the truest sense is not something we we can plan and prepare, but it can't be scheduled. We can't just assume to operate and say, yeah, I want to be more hospitable, but I'll do it through these hours and this. It doesn't work that way when we really think about what true hospitality is. 
uh, a few uh, a few weeks ago, um, one, uh, we were getting kids in bed, and it was like 8 o'clock, and that's like the time for us where like the Romano house attempts to shut down, right? Like we're, like, we're closing up shop, like we're getting, trying to calm down, it takes a while, it's a process. It is also the most hectic time uh, at our house. And so um, right about that time, we're like in the middle of doing all that, there is a knock on my door, and I go into like defense mode, like who's at our house, you know, it's dark outside, like what's going on, you know, so I go, and it's one of the students from our church, and he has a sleeping bag on his shoulder, and he's got uh, his, his bike he had rode over. And uh, I'm like, okay, you know, like, I, hey, buddy, we're really busy right now. You know, like, no, obviously didn't do that. I was like, okay, come, come on in, hang out downstairs, and, and we'll catch up. And so I go, um, we get the kids to bed. He's hanging out. And then, uh, you know, I'm tired. It's been a long day. Just get the kids in bed, which is not my best brain space. Like, if you ever want to, like, have some counseling with me, that was not the time to, like, schedule that meeting. And uh, so I'm like, okay, like, let's go hang out. And I go downstairs, and he's just hanging out on the couch. We get some football on. And I said, uh, my first line to him was, well, I'm guessing you didn't come over so that we could braid each other's hair and have a slumber party. So what's going on? And so we just got the opportunity uh, to talk through some things and him take some ownership of some things and me challenge him on some things. And we would have missed that opportunity. I'm not saying that that was some significant thing. It was just a small thing. But we would have missed that opportunity if I didn't open that door, right? And, and again, it doesn't always come uh, at, the, at the most convenient times, right? And we have to be open to that. We have to be willing to uh, be open to those conversations. You know, it reminds me how many times in the Bible you read where Jesus is, and he's a, you talk about like list of most important people, I think we could go ahead and put Jesus at the top of the list. If there's any guy that you could say he might not have margin in his schedule, and that would be okay, it would be Jesus. I mean, everybody's vying for his attention, right? And so he's going, and he's preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, right? Going from town to town, and often what we see as he goes from town to town is, He's being just, people are just flooding to him saying, Jesus, I need some healing, or Jesus, I need this. And we see him taking these time, right, this time along the way to stop and to notice people. And I think that's significant because hospitality is, if we're going to really practice hospitality, it's not going to happen if we're constantly focused on the destination in our life, right? If we're always like, hey, I got to get here. I can't do this right now because I got to get over here. I got to get to this. We've got to notice what's happening along the journey. We've got to take advantage of those opportunities. When people might be crying out for help or crying out for a meaningful conversation or whatever it is, we have to have our awareness raised to those kinds of things. We can't be so destination focused that we miss what matters the most. Hospitality, myth number two, hospitality is selective. Hospitality is selective. So hospitality is not easy and natural, and hospitality is not selective as much as we would like it to be. Because all of us have people in our lives that it would be easier, they're hard to love. Let's just put it that way. There's people in our lives that it's, it's easy to show hospitality to, and then there's other people in our lives that are like, they make it difficult. And they're not the person that's just at the top of our, like, blessings list, right? Like, I also want to bless that person. In fact, um, it, it's just difficult uh, in some relationships. Uh, but what's interesting here is if you read on, so we might be tracking great with Paul all the way for, through verse 13 in Romans. And he said, love must be sincere. Yeah, amen, Paul. Hate what is evil. Yeah, yeah. Be devoted to one another in love. Yeah, yeah. Honor other, each other. Never be lacking in zeal. We're like, yeah, that's just like, come on, preach, Paul. And then he gets down to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. And that just like drops on you like a load of bricks. Like, 
wait a second. You're telling me I got to bless the people that are like up against me, right? The people that, you know, might even hate me. The people might speak evil of me. I, that, those people got to be on my list of blessing. And so if we're tracking with them, uh, verse 13 almost just derails this whole thing for us. And I just want to ask, how many are you le- are ready to take hospitality to that level? To really bless those who curse you or bless those who persecute you or even, because the truth is, I mean, we're talking about, think about what Jesus endured, right? And he's still speaking blessing to the people that are crucifying him. He's still speaking blessing to them and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? And we're not even talking about that level of persecution. Often for us, what upsets us is might just be a comment here and there, like somebody's attitude. And you're like, forget, I'm not talking to them, you know? We get passive aggressive or we push them away. But what would it look like if we took on a greater level of maturity when it came to how we treat one another and we took the high road and even those that might persecute us or even those that might speak uh, ill against us or, or, or act against us, uh, what if we stepped up to the plate and blessed those people? My mom reminded me this past week uh, of a principle that really became kind of a guiding force for our family. I didn't know where it really originated, but she had said that uh, somebody had shared this phrase with her uh, that really became a defining principle for her and by default uh, to our family as well. And she said that somebody said to her one time, it's those who are hardest to love that need it the most. It's those that are hardest to love that need it the most. And, and one of the things I love the most about my mom is that my mom has always noticed uh, people that nobody else noticed. She's always been able to look past uh, difficulty with people. And she's always been the first to try and bridge difficult relational dynamics. And we all have those in our family, right? And she's always the, the peacemaker in our family. And I just, I've always appreciated that. The other thing I've appreciated is our table has always been open to anybody that we would invite. And I have some friends that probably be better just to not have over, you know, over the years. But the table was always open to whoever would come. And even my friends that could just eat, you know, uh, my teenage friends when I was a teenager, just eat them out of house and home. And uh, that is even translated into, like, our time at Axis where they'll invite us out to lunch. And I know that that invitation is really an extension to anybody here that would want to come along that doesn't have a place to go for lunch. And so they've really modeled that for us, and I appreciate that, uh, because I do think that that's true. We've got to know that. Sometimes the people that are hardest to love, um, that are the ones that really need it the most. Uh, I love how the message version paraphrases Jesus' words in Luke 6, 32 through 35, and listen to how Jesus challenges us. He says, if you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies, help those who, and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. So the question is, who's hard to love around you because they might be the person in greatest need of your love. Myth number three, hospitality is an event. Hospitality is an event. It's so much more than an event. It's so much more than a one and done kind of an event. In Romans 12, he goes on and says, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. See, hospitality is way more than just a dinner party. It's more than an event. It's something that we embody as a people. It's a lifestyle of showing up for people. It's a lifestyle of inviting others in. There's so many examples of that here that I could give. And one of the things that Jess and I have always said that we love about Axis over the years is that Axis shows up. I mean, these people around here just show up. And I'm talking about if there's a graduation party, I'm talking about if there's any kind of thing going on, there's always just a, a mass of Axis people that show up for those things. In challenging times, we've seen people show up around here. And I just pray that that is something that continues to mark us as a church. That's something that continues to separate us. And I think about what we read here from Paul when he says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That means that a loss for one of us is a loss for all of us. We don't shoulder those losses all by ourselves. We shoulder them together because a loss for one of us is a loss for all of us. A challenge for one of us is a challenge for all of us as we walk through those things together in prayer. A win for one of us is a win for all of us. And you guys are so great about just celebrating people around here when things happen, you know. New babies are born. It's almost like you just had a baby, you know, and it's just a celebration that comes around. Somebody gets a new job, and we celebrate like we were the one that got that job. And that's really what it looks like to rejoice with those who rejoice. Hospitality is not just an event. It's a lifestyle. It's consistency. It's loyalty. It's commitment. In Acts 4, 32 through 35, we see how that was lived out among the early church. All the believers were, t- were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work uh, in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. There was no needy persons among them because they were committed to one another. They embodied and lived out hospitality in such a way that they met one another's needs. It's more than just a, hey, we'll see you next week, right? It's an open heart, open life, open door, and open table. We have to be willing to step into those kinds of things if we want to truly practice hospitality. Myth number four, hospitality is careless. It's not careless. It might seem reckless at times on the outside. It might seem unconventional when we truly practice radical hospitality, but it's not random. It's not a, hey, let's just show up in this moment at this time. It's intentional, it's thoughtful, and it should be spirit-led. We should practice discernment um, as we step out into hospitality as God leads us to the places he wants us to go. And sometimes the way that we think we should help is not the most helpful thing to do, right? There might be a time when we might be trying to help and we're actually just enabling someone, or we might be trying to help and we're actually hurting them with good intentions of trying to help. And so the reason I say that is we have to practice discernment and healthy boundaries as part of being able to do more for more people. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Jesus gives this command again as he sends them out. Matthew 10, 16, I am sending you out in the midst of wolves. Be as wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Practice wisdom, practice discernment as you go. 
True hospitality operates with wisdom and healthy boundaries. I don't know if you're like me, but I've got what they call the FOMO, right, fear of missing out. And I just, if there's, I want to do all the things. Like, if there's something going on, like, I would love to do all the things. I want to be at all the birthday parties. I want to go all the places. Like, if stuff's going on, like, I want to do all the things. This has gotten me into trouble, too, in planning my own social calendar because I plan, I might have multiple overlapping things going on. And so from, I've done the smart thing now. And if somebody asked me to do something social, I'd be like, ask Jess. I don't know, just ask Jess. I don't know what our, because I'll tell her, so, oh, hey, we're doing this today. She's like, uh, we had this today. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, you keep the social calendar. Like, that's fine. Um, but what I've noticed is this, this idea of FOMO, it kind of gets in the way because when I try to be everywhere, I'm never fully anywhere. And I don't know if you've experienced that. When I try to do, be everywhere, I'm never fully present anywhere. When I try to do everything, I don't do anything very well. When I try to be there for everyone, I'm not very available to anyone. And that's the reason why I think we need to practice discernment. God, show me where you want to give the most of myself right now in this season of life. Show me where I can dive deeper into someone's life or invite someone more into my life. And hospitality is a spirit-led effort. If we want to be in tune with the needs of others, we must be tuned into the spirit of God. Asking questions like, am I helping or am I enabling? What is the best way, God, for me to help this person? Is this something God has for you or is it something that God has for somebody else? Where does God want me to give the most of myself right now? These are the questions that discerning people ask. Where do my priorities need aligning in my life so that I can be more hospitable? I'm going to talk more about that throughout the month. But these are the things that the Spirit of God helps us to, to be discerning on if we would step back in prayer and invite Him to lead us. And so it's a Spirit-led effort. It's not just a Spirit-led effort, though. It's also a team effort. Myth number five is that hospitality is only for some of us. And some of you right now are thinking, that's great for some people, but I'm not a very personable person, or I'm not really, uh, hospitality is not my gift. And so we sort of just like say that as like our out, you know, like I, we'll let the like real friendly people take care of the hospitality thing, but like, that's not me, that's not me, I, I can't do it. Um, but hospitality, it might look different for all of us, but we all have a, a duty uh, to, to live hospitable kind of lives and be hospitable hospitable and practice hospitality it looks different for all of us but it's commanded for all of us the apostle peter tells us as you come to him the living stone who's rejected by humans but chosen by god and precious to him jesus you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ so we are all ordained by god to do his work that's what that passage is showing us in various spheres of influence, in various ways. It's not just meant for some elite uh, religious status. It's meant for all of us to live out these things in our everyday lives. It's not just one person's duty. It's all of our duty. It might just manifest itself differently to each of us. I told you guys a couple weeks ago when I talked about uh, Ashley Morrison, who's in our church, that has really been feeling led for a while uh, by God to uh, reach out to expectant and single moms. Um, just her journey has really aligned with that. And as a single mom, she understands just some of the challenges through her experience. And um, she has, I told her a few weeks ago, because this feels like a daunting, like how do I just reach out? How do I create community among single moms? She's like, it just feels daunting and big. I said, okay, 
just take it a step at a time. What's the next step of obedience? And, and we had talked through it together. And I was like, okay, let's reach. Right now it's just making connection with some people. And so uh, there's another partner that we have called the Elizabeth New Life Center here. Um, and we thought that, hey, they really do a great job of caring for expectant and single moms. Go talk with them, and let's see if there's some partnerships that emerge. So she goes and she talks with them, and she comes in my office, by the way, and she's sharing all this through tears about just how God is working. And um, she goes to talk with them this week, and she said, Josh, you'll never believe it. Um, I told them about this Embrace Grace group that we want to start uh, here uh, that cares specifically for these mothers. And uh, the lady uh, at, at Elizabeth New Life said, you'll never believe this, but Antioch Church just came to us and said that they want to start one of these groups too. And they want to start a group that cares for uh, mothers out ahead of pregnancy. And what if you guys started the group that cares for mothers post-pregnancy? Uh, and so it was just this cool alliance. She's like just sharing this. She's like, it's just the perfect timing. And um, as she's sharing all this stuff just through tears, she, she says to me, she says, you know, you guys just ma have made me perpetually uncomfortable since I got here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, is that a like, uh, that's a, She's saying it's a compliment, though, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you're She's like, yeah. She's like, I've just grown so much here because I've continued to be pressed outside of my comfort zone on these things. And so I just celebrate that. I think it's awesome. And I want to tell you about it because maybe that's something that you feel led to be hospitable in or step out in. And so Go link up with her on that. But all of us have to ask the question, okay, what does it look like for us? Because all of us have a responsibility when it comes to hospitality. So maybe it's starting a new relational tradition. Maybe it's taking a child into your home. Like I've, I've known of several Axis couples who have done. Maybe it's just cleaning off that dining room table that's just got papers all over it and just hasn't really been used in a while. And inviting some friends over. And if I could just give you a specific challenge, um, have one meaningful conversation this week. Set up a coffee with somebody. Go spend some time with somebody. Have somebody over for dinner. Uh, but just get started on it. we got to get started on it, even if it's in a small way. Um, maybe it's just hanging out in your front yard instead of in your backyard to see who you might uh, encounter out there. Uh, but we need to continue to step into greater hospitality. Because myth number six is that hospitality is insignificant. But we know that's not true. In fact, though it's small, and sometimes just these small acts that we might think go unnoticed or don't really have a lot of weight to them, there is nothing quite as powerful as a life of hospitality. Jesus presents one of the simplest definitions of hospitality for us when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's not saying passively love your neighbor as yourself, like just wish them well. When he says love your neighbor as yourself, he's, he's given us an action step, right? He's given us action words to go and actively uh, embed ourselves in the lives of those around us so that we might love them well. And that's the true essence of hospitality. Loving our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, um, and the people around us as ourselves. Putting that kind of love in action is the most significant thing we can do, even if we do it in small ways. I just want to give you one more phrase here to kind of capture uh, really all that we talked about today, and that's this. Genuine love is the clearest route to true connection. Genuine love is the truest or the clearest route to true connection. If we want to experience deep connection, love must be genuine. It's the greatest power that we possess. 
As we finish up today, I want to show you a video, and I, I shared with you guys uh, several times about this book that I read that's really been influential for me. It's called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and it's by this lady named Rosaria Butterfield. But she shares throughout the book this story of how she had really kind of lived this life that was distant and really opposed to God and didn't want anything to, to do uh, with God. And um, through the hospitality of uh, some people that she encountered, everything changed. She, was, uh, she had written these articles for a long time, um, and, and a lot of some of the things that she was kind of pushing up against were things that were um, within the church. And um, she was a prominent member of the LGBTQ community and, um, and really had this kind of vendetta to just prove that the Bible was false, that it was not uh, a meaningful book. And one of the articles that she wrote, she wrote this article talking about how Promise Keepers was a misogynist organization. And in writing that article, article, she, she gained the atten- a lot of attention, and one of the, the, the people that she gained attention from was the leader of the Promise Keepers movement. And rather than lashing out, Ken and Faye Smith did something completely different. They invited her into their home. And she talks about how that made all the difference to her in her life. She said, that's where everything changed. And I love this, this, uh, this line from her book. It says that the threshold to their life was like none other. The threshold to their life brought me to the foot of the cross. Watch this video as we close today.